Get your hammer and nails ready and your bow tie on. It's the Lutheran episode of Bowtie Dialogues, and it begins right now. Welcome back to Bowtie Dialogues here on Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. And today, I am joined by a group of Lutheran ministers who are going to dialogue with me about their theology. I'm going to bring them up now. I'm super excited to welcome all of them, particularly the genius behind Lutheran satire, Hans Feeney. And it gives me a chance to finally do this for you. All right, if you're unfamiliar with that, that's from Boy Meets World, and I've been wanting to do that for Hans ever since we became acquainted. And he has assembled a crack squad of Lutheran ministers for us, a ragtag outfit of rogues, misfits, and ne'er-do-wells, who he is now going to introduce to us. Hans, can you tell us who you've brought with you today? Sure. Uh, so I'm Pastor Hans Feeney. I'm pastor of uh, Lutheran Church in Crestwood, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. Uh, we've brought along with us today Pastor Ben Meyer, who is somewhere in Ohio, right? Is that correct, Ben? That is correct, yeah. All right. Uh, ben is uh, is a great guy. He's 6'7". Uh, How tall are you? 6'5". Uh, 6'5". Six, five. Six, five. He has the voice of a 6'7 guy, though. Uh, so then there's Tapani Simiyoki, who is a pastor uh, of the Evangelical, uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in England. Uh, so we are in fact, he's not a part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, because it's a different country and we, uh, we generally don't go across national borders, uh, but we are in fellowship with them. So we uh, we share a common confession of faith. Uh, I've done an interview with uh, with him, with uh, Reverend Simiyoki on my uh, YouTube channel where he talks a bit about the Lutheran Church in England, very small church body. Uh, but uh, the, the folks uh, across the ocean are very blessed uh, to have uh, men like uh, Tapani fighting the good fight uh, over there. Uh, then we have uh, two uh, gentlemen, two other uh, LCMS pastors uh, that I've known my entire life, uh, the Reverend Andrew Preuss, who's a pastor here in uh, Missouri as well, uh, who is my cousin, and his brother Mark, who is also my cousin. Uh, Mark is a pastor as well, uh, and uh, I love them all. I love all of these folks very dearly, so it's a, it's a good group that we have here and me. <laughs> well, I'm very grateful, Hans, for you helping me to set this up. We've been talking about this since the summer, and I said that I wanted to do this in the month of October. Every year, our church celebrates Reformation Day on October 31st, so this is, this is going out this week as an homage to the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which began on October 31st, 1517. And today we're going to discuss Lutheran distinctives. And in case you didn't know, I'm not a Lutheran. I am a Baptist, so I'm surprised they're even letting me talk. Where do we agree? Where do we disagree? Which Bible passages would we run to to prove our point? And what do we really think about each other? And while having a good time, or we're going to answer these questions while having a good time in the spirit of brotherly affection. I'm going to be asking them a series of questions and each of you will have the opportunity to answer. But as I said in the pre-show, if someone answers a question really well, you don't have to repeat what they say. You can simply say, I agree, and we can move on if, if that's how it goes. Because we have several questions. We have a lot to get to in this hour. 
Also, I do want to say this for you and for my audience, that some of the questions I'm asking, I already know the answer to. I'm asking on behalf of my audience, but I'm also wanting to make sure I'm right. I just said I know the answer, but I may be wrong because I'm not a Lutheran. So I want to make sure that what I understand is actually what Lutherans believe. So what we're going to do to begin, uh, Hans already introduced everyone, but what I want to ask, and I think this is an important question, is I'd like for each of you, and we'll start with Ben. Actually, we can start with Hans. We'll go around the circle. We'll start with Hans. Hans, can you tell me if you were born into a Lutheran home or did you become a Lutheran out of an, uh, another denomination? So I'll, we'll begin with you. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a lifelong Lutheran. Um, I would. My guess would be uh, amongst LCMS pastors, a, a, a good chunk of guys that I went to seminary with were converts. Probably thirty to forty percent of them, I would imagine. <laughs> Um, but I grew up in a Lutheran household. I come from a really long line of Lutheran pastors on both sides of my family, uh, both the side that I share with Mark and Andrew, as well as on my uh, father's side as well. So uh, basically Lutheran pastors all the way back until the days of the Reformation. So I have, I have been blessed to be Lutheran my entire life, to have had a wonderful pastor and my father uh, throughout, uh, throughout my youth, uh, to have uh, great Lutheran pastors at seminary and teachers at seminary, etc., that's wonderful. Now, is your father still with us? He is, yes. He's retired now, uh, which means that he only preaches every Sunday now. Uh, so so uh, nice. he's filling in filling in a lot of congregations that uh, need uh, what we call what we typically call pulpit supply. Do you guys use that term, pulpit supply? Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh, um, medical love fest going on here. So still does, <laughs> still does a bit of that in uh, out in California now. Um, does he enjoy your, your humor videos? Does he think they're great? He does. He's very supportive of, of all that I do. That's great. That's great. Good Good to have a supportive father. All right, Ben, I'll switch to you and uh, ask you the same question. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid too, actually. My my dad was the first, not not like uh, Hans, where it goes way back in time. He was, you know, all of my uh, ancestors before that were farmers, I think. So, uh, but I uh, grew up as a, as a pastor's kid out in Western Colorado, Wyoming, um, um, my older brother went to the seminary same time I did and a younger brother who went to the seminary, uh, a number of years after we did. So, uh, we got a lot of, a lot of Lutherans in the family. That's great. And I have to say, you're the only one wearing the collar today. And, uh, when you're from where I am, if you see somebody in a collar, they're automatically Catholic. Cause there's only two types of people in the South Baptist right. and Catholic. So right. yeah. uh, do, do you get that ever people see you in the collar? In oh country? yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's pretty typical. Um, but it, a pro it tip for conversations, people, <laughs> uh, a pro, just a little pro tip for folks. Uh, Catholic priests uh, pretty much universally are clean shaven. So if you ever see someone wearing the collar and they don't have like the super, super long beard, but if they kind of do the goatee thing like Ben, good chance that's a Lutheran. Nice. They also don't tend to have a wedding ring. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's also a helpful tool. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Well, let's uh, we'll jump down to uh, Topani and uh, I'm, 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 I'm trying I'm trying to say I'm sorry, sir. Again, I'm Southern American, which puts me on the very low rung of the uh, <laughs> the ability to add inflection. So forgive me. That's all right. That's anything as long as it's not too rude, I'll, I'll, I'll answer to. Uh, I, like Hans, I'm, I come from a long line of Lutheran pastors. I, I was brought up uh, in a pastor's family. 
Uh, my father was a pastor. His brother was a pastor. Grandfather, their grandfather, and all the way down somewhere in the 17th century, I think, was the first Lutheran pastor. So yes, I've been. I'm a lifelong Lutheran, um, and uh, yeah, my I, one of my brothers is a pastor. We are everywhere, <laughs> uh, pastors um, sideways and, and up and down in the family. Um, and uh, I think the um, what I might add uh, is maybe different because of my my background. I'm, I'm in England, but I'm originally from Finland, and, and my family is Finnish. I've, I emigrated to to the UK a sort of quarter of a century ago. And and so maybe uh, so bring a slightly different flavour uh, of Lutheran, um, and then if maybe we will get a chance, or maybe not, to talk about it. But uh, there's a thing called Lutheran Pietism, which is very very strong uh, in in Scandinavia, which is <clears throat> part of my background uh, as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd love to love to hear about that. And uh, I do thank you for wearing the bow tie. Not everybody, uh, not everybody does. But uh, e even on the other shows, I've done this with Anglicans. I've done this with Presbyterians. Even the Presbyterians wouldn't wear it. And this is an homage to them. You know, this is the joke that I took my clerical wear. collar off, especially I wear a clerical <laughs> collar every day and I took it off to put this on. So I hope that I get extra, extra uh, biscuits <laughs> afterwards. Yes, yes. Extra credit for sure. All right, Mr. Andrew, I'll let you go next. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Andrew Preuss. Uh, I'm Hans's cousin, his younger cousin. So he actually had, he hasn't known me his whole life. I've known him my whole life. Oh, okay. Um, right. But uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, basically the same story as Hans, except uh, on my mom's side, uh, my grandma and grandpa were Lutheran. My mom's, but my mom's cousins were all Calvinists. Uh, so they, her, I'm, I'm a quarter Dutch. My mom's half Dutch. Um, the only reason I think the only reason why my grandma was a Lutheran was because she was deaf, went to a, a Lutheran deaf school. Um, and uh, and then uh, so anyway, uh, so I guess what I'll say also is I am number eight out of 12 children. Uh, Mark is my older brother um, and uh, I have seven older brothers and six of my seven older brothers are Lutheran pastors. And one of my younger brothers is a Lutheran pastor. Uh, and then I have uh, two more younger brothers, one who is in his last year of seminary at Fort Wayne, and then another one who's planning on uh, going to seminary in a couple of years. So I'll leave it at that. That is that's amazing uh, the, the, that that God had called would call all of you guys into the ministry. Now, very quickly, and I'm just since you mentioned it, Andrew, um, seminary for Lutherans. I know would like uh, a lot a lot of like Presbyterians have to have an MDiv. Is that similar to what you guys do? Is there specifically Lutheran seminaries, and is there a degree that is required for ministry? Yeah, yeah. Typically, you have to have an MDiv. There are alternate routes. Um, that uh to to the ministry uh but uh those are we could talk about that more later but typically yeah you you'd go you get your bachelor's degree and then you go i went to seminary in st catharines ontario um which is a, the canadian uh one of the canadian seminaries kind of a daughter seminary at fort wayne um but i think uh that i also studied at fort wayne so it yeah so that i would have gotten my mdiv there then stm at, at, at fort wayne um, but, uh, yeah, that's typically how it goes. Nice. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll, we'll finish this out with Mark. Uh, Mark, you are the brother of Andrew, the cousin of Hans and one of several pastors in your family. Tell us a little, so we know, we know where you came from, but tell us a little bit more about yourself. 
Uh, yeah, I've been a pastor for 13 <laughs> years and uh, I'm very grateful for that, uh, for that honor and privilege to preach the gospel. And I also, you know, when I was growing up, people would in college and things like that would say, the only reason you believe this is because you were raised that way. And uh, initially I tried to defend against this and say, uh, I mean, it's true. I, I believe because the word was preached, right? And so the, the, what's kind of hidden in that, in that uh, accusation is that uh, there's no control by God in calling us at all, that it isn't a gracious work that God would call us out of darkness through the generations because faith isn't hereditary. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But to have the spirit that is the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments in your home and in the congregation you attend growing up is the greatest privilege of my life to have to have the pure gospel comforting me and raising me up from dead works to serve the living God. I can't thank God enough. And it often frightens me, the saying, to, to whom much is given, much will be required. So I treasure being uh, being a Lutheran, and I don't really see much difference between between being a Lutheran and being a Christian. So insofar as you are a Christian, you are also a Lutheran. And insofar as you are not a Lutheran, you are not a Christian in that sense. And I think we'll be able to talk about that in the future. So. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to unpack that a little bit as we go. When we think about the history of Lutheranism, obviously Lutheranism is attached to Luther himself. It bears the name, much like when I say I'm a Calvinist, we're, we're bearing the name of a historical figure. But we know that that doesn't mean that necessarily we exalt everything the man did or everything the man ever said. So there are some foundational teachings that come with being a Calvinist. There's some foundational teachings that come with being a Lutheran. And if someone were wanting to do a, a study and say, okay, I want to know what Lutherans believe, what are the main confessional documents that a person would, would go to and look at if they wanted to know what Lutherans believe and, uh, and teach? Well, so there's a, a book uh, called, often called the Book of Concord, also known as the Lutheran Confessions, uh, which is a series of documents written kind of over the course of two generations. Most of it's written during the first generation, uh, where you have uh, documents like Martin Luther's Small and Large Catechisms. Um, you have the Augsburg Confession, which is what the Lutherans presented to the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Uh, as basically it was their way of kind of clearing the air and saying there's been a lot of talk about what we're teaching and, and some of it's true, some of it's not. Here's the stuff that we believe. The Roman Catholics responded to the Augsburg Confession with a document called the Confutation. So the Lutherans then wrote uh, in response to that uh, the apology of the Augsburg Confession. So apology there, the more ancient definition meaning explanation. Uh, so then there's uh, Luther has a book, uh, the, uh, the Small Called Articles. There's the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope, which is a document basically that kind of the two main issues of the Reformation are uh, how man is justified before God and the authority of the Pope. There's a lot of other issues, but those are kind of the two main ones. Uh, so those are addressed in, the, in those various documents. And then in the second generation, uh, where for historical reasons, you had some Calvinist teachings that were coming into Lutheran circles uh, and the Lutherans were having to clarify, hold on a second, uh, some of this stuff is what we teach, some of this isn't. 
so that you have the second generation of documents, uh, that document called the, uh, the Formula of Concord, which has two parts to it. And that was written, uh, as I said, to basically clear, written in, I think, 1577, uh, yeah. Yeah, 1577, uh, to, uh, to basically clarify, here's the Calvinist stuff that we're pushing out and rejecting and saying this has never actually been what it is that we taught. Here's the, um, so the first round of stuff is, is kind of aimed more at Roman Catholicism, clarifying and, and positioning themselves uh, against the Roman Catholic Church. Second generation is uh, against the Calvinist influences. That's very interesting for me, um, as I know that many of, of many Calvinist teachers will, will exalt the teachings of Luther and, and will, will often cite the teachings of Luther in support of Calvinist teachings. But I have, I have heard, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that in the, in the generations following Luther, there were, there were things that maybe Luther, and belie Luther himself believed, but that the, that the later teachers, Melanchthon and others, didn't, didn't believe and hold to regarding things like predestination and, and things like that. Is, that. is that accurate, or are we misrepresenting Luther? Do you think the reformers grab Luther too tightly? When I say reformers, I mean Calvinists. Can I, can is, I come back at that? Yeah, I'd love Sorry, to. Sorry, yes. Mark, Mark, go ahead, Mark. Well, uh, there is in Luther's earlier uh, time, because he was so Augustinian in his commentary on the Romans, he does uh, seem to adopt a double predestinarian view. But that's the only instance that you can really find it. I was just going to say that I think, I think there is a... There is often a view, even among some Lutherans, but certainly outside Lutheranism, that... Luther and Lutheranism are coterminous. And first of all, Luther didn't agree with himself. He wrote a huge amount <laughs> over decades. And he was, I think I, heard, I read somewhere that he published between 50 and 17 and his death, he published roughly every two weeks. And, you know, wow. it's, he, he published a huge, huge amount. Um, and his, his views changed, like, you know, any, any sensible person's views change. So Lutherans, though we bear the name and though Martin Luther is the chief teacher of our church, um, we, we, we're not Lutherish, we're Lutheran. Uh, and, and so the Book of Concord is our doctrinal standard. And I have to say, this is where I have to bring in my, uh, uh, my uh, so Finnish Inquisition hat, because uh, Hans, <laughs> left, Hans left out three writings of the uh, Book of Concord, which are the three ecumenical creeds, uh, which are also included. Um, Shame uh, on you, Hans. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and within the Book of Concord, there's a hierarchy also, where the Augsburg Confession is the chief confession of the church. <clears throat> Uh, and then the other other writings in it are, are in, if you like, um, are included because they uh, they agree with and they expand on and they kind of add detail to what is confessed in the Oxford Confession. And so we, we would say rather that insofar as Luther agrees with the Book of Concord, he's Lutheran and where he disagrees, he's not. OK, because we're not because Luther is not the standard. The Book of Concord is the standard. And in fact, Luther only himself of the of, of the books in the Book of Concord, only three come from the pen of Luther. And in terms of pages, Philip Melanchthon wrote many more pages in the Book of Concord than did Martin Luther. Good point. Good point. And that's and that sort of goes makes sense. Uh, that that I, I like what you said. Luther disagreed with himself, and it's it's funny because I'll listen to a sermon I preached twenty years ago, and I'll say, "Boy, who's that? You know, <laughs> who is that 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 guy? You know." So yeah, there, there's a reality there. Um, a lot of people think that because I make the funny videos, and I don't know how many of you guys have seen my videos, I do a lot of videos where I play different parts, I play different denominations, and because I often make the Presbyterian the hero of the, of the video, 
people often think that I'm Presbyterian, but I'm actually not. I'm a Calvinistic Baptist. I don't even use I, I normally don't even use the term Reformed Baptist because there's there's this whole argument about what makes someone truly Reformed, and, and so I just say I'm Calvinistic and I'm Baptist, and people can work that out however they want. But I would ask this question: Where would be the biggest difference between what you think I believe and what you all believe? And do you think I'm a heretic? That's the <laughs> The fun question, uh, and and be gentle. I uh, I did invite you all. No, <laughs> so, uh, but be honest. But be gentle. Yeah. So I could, I could start uh, with that. Uh, years ago, I wrote a series of articles in the local paper uh, about what the Reformation was about, and in one of them, I, I, I repudiated the teaching of free will and synergism and conversion. And uh, like a week later, a man from the county called me up and thanked me for, for attacking this, this horrible heresy of free will. And, and so I was excited. He left a message. I called him back to talk to him, and he was a Reformed Baptist. And so then, uh, so then we started talking and, you know, started off with – very brotherly, uh, you know, a unity, brotherly unity on, uh, you know, against the Arminians. Um, but then, uh, then we got on to talking about baptism, and baptismal regeneration, and the, the and the bodily presence in the Lord's Supper, and uh, and so we started arguing. And uh, so yeah. I would say that uh, you know we have a thing called a we call it a felicitous inconsistency. So uh, what it is is that you're inconsistent, which is very, uh, uh, it, it's a very uh, uh, pleasant and convenient thing that you're inconsistent um, because we would, we would say that if you consistently hold to the principles that lead you to reject uh, baptismal regeneration and, uh, and the bodily presence in the Lord's Supper, then you would be an historian or an Arian um, or something like that. Um, but thank God you are not consistent uh, with uh, with with your with your teaching on that, um, and so that's very felicitous. So we would not consider you a heretic insofar as you hold to the creeds um, of Nicaea and 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 so forth. But we would we would certainly uh, be uh, we would certainly warn you against you know denying the Chalcedonian definition and. And, uh, and stuff like that, uh, which we could unpack that as we go go along. But but that became uh, that you know if if you go if you ask Luther, Luther would say you're a heretic. Sure. Um, yeah, I was going to say. Sounds like you had your own little Marburg colloquy there with the guy in your in your town. Yeah, yeah, you were agreeing had, on everything, and then boom. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We were, there was a tablecloth, and then I yeah. up in the <laughs> tablecloth and said, and I just yeah. totally threw it down. So, <laughs> I would well, say, th- oh, sorry. I was just say thank you for that. I think Mark has something to say. Yeah, yeah. The uh, often uh, theologians will talk about the material principle, the formal principle, and uh, the the material principle would be the chief the chief article of the faith that kind of determines things. And for the Lutherans, we consider it to be uh, the article on justification, including the atonement, and. Uh, and we would see the Calvinists as beginning from the sovereignty of God. And so uh, a huge difference, and it's very much related to Christology, 
is that we confess both uh, grace alone, as the Calvinists do, and universal grace, as the, Ar as the Arminians do. And uh, the Calvinists consider it to be a contradiction, as the Arminians do, but we hold the paradox as the scriptures teach them. And so that leads us to reject uh, different letters of tulip, for example. We would confess uh, total depravity. Uh, we would confess half of unconditional election in that God chooses us without any us fulfilling any condition to be saved, but we reject uh, election from eternity to hell. Uh, we deny uh, very sternly limited atonement. Um, we deny irresistible grace because the grace of God is always offered through the word. And Jesus said, you were not willing. And uh, they believe for a while. Oh, and then in perseverance of the saints, we kind of confess that as long as you are hearing the word of God. That is apart from the external word and apart from holding on to the gospel and its promises, there is no assurance of salvation. So uh, so th that's those things kind of uh, our emphasis on justification is uh, it, it prevents us from taking some of the stances that the Calvinists historically have. All right. I would Thank also you. say too uh, that the, the term, I mean, I know you're using the term heretic kind of uh, tongue in cheek here, but uh, the term itself is kind of a, a difficult concept. Uh, I mean, historically, it's more of a kind of a historical judgment than, uh, than often anything else. But I, th I think a lot of times too, nowadays in, in Christian dialogue, one of the things that Lutherans are are pretty keen on avoiding is this trap that you oftentimes get into, I think, in, in a lot of the Reformed and Evangelical world of, am I the bad thing that makes me not a Christian? And if you're not willing to say that, then my views are acceptable. So, you know, so am I a heretic? All right, well, if I'm not a heretic, then then this is a fair ball. And we, and we all get to have kind of our own different views on that. And, and this is pretty contrary to the Lutheran spirit of things, which is so, you know, if we look at an issue like baptism or the Lord's Supper, uh, if someone says to me, well, are you saying I'm not a Christian because of my views on this? To me, that's a that's a worthless question to ask. The, the important question is who's right? And let's and let's resolve our, our issues and let's um, let's find uh, greater unity by discussing the issues, which I often think doesn't happen when we say, all right, well, you know, it would be like, an, it, like you'd have a bad marriage if your wife, if you and your wife are having a fight and she says, well, are you going to divorce me over this? Right. And you go, no. And she goes, okay, well then stop arguing. <laughs> stop arguing with me about it. You go, no, this is, this is not the way to build unity. Uh, so, so the question itself is kind of, is kind of, uh, a, for, it, from my perspective, kind of a non-starter, even though I know you meant it tongue in cheek. It reminds me of when I was in high school arguing with these girls about uh, women pastors, and then they just say, so you're saying I'm going to hell? And I'm like, <laughs> right, I, yeah. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, that, that leads to a question real quick. What's the Lutheran view on women pastors? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> what is Which your Lutheran? view? What is this Lutheran group's view? It's disgusting. Uh, okay, They're called lesbians. The first transvestites, you know, it's gross. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's contrary to scripture. So what do we have in First Timothy? What do we have in Titus? That's what we go with. And, you know, uh, the, uh, the epistles are quite clear about it. And we don't have the option of saying, well, society has changed. We need to change with society. Um, no, we're, we're bound by scripture. And when scripture is out of touch with society, then we go with scripture. And we also get to be out of touch with society. And that's okay. 
Yeah, what, that what is the uh, oh, uh, and that to, uh, Paul in both Timothy and Corinthians appeals to the law to to the law of Moses, mm -hmm. and yeah. so we're in passages created contrary, order as well. Yeah, right? it's contrary to Genesis one through yeah. three. Yeah, and uh, so. Well, the next question I'm going to ask, uh, unless um, Topani, did you want to add? And I know I'm saying it right. I, I, now I'm nervous to say it. <laughs> no, no, no. Please, please do. hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. No, um, no. I, th I think it's enough. Enough being said. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, the next question again. This is this is in no way is meant to be a uh, about me, but I'm curious if I personally, as a Baptist pastor came to a Lutheran church, would I be welcome at the Lord's table? And, and you're not going to hurt my feelings if you tell me no. I'm just curious what the what the view would be. Would I be welcome at the Lord's table? And if and if so, why? If not, why? That would be... Can I ask by ask, asking you a question in return? Yes, sir, please. If you come to the Lord's table, what is what are you looking for? What are you seeking to receive? Uh, well, I believe that the Lord's table is representative of the body and blood of Christ. I do not believe that it is the the actual body and blood of Christ. So I, right. I take now, a, wait, a Zwinglian perspective on the table. So if you if you come to the table, you are expecting a piece of bread and a sip of wine from the, from uh, at the Lord's table. Uh, I, I am expecting to have the opportunity to remember the body and blood of Christ, yeah. which was once for all shed for the sins sure. of all who yeah, will yeah. believe. Yeah, yes. no, no, yeah, yeah. I, I assume that, but but it is what you're seeking, <clears throat> right? That is not what is on offer. Okay. What is on offer is the true body and blood of Christ in, with, and under the bread and wine. So what you are seeking at the Lutheran table is not what a Lutheran table is offering. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So that which is, and so that's the starting point. So mm -hmm. I'd say you you shouldn't really want to commune with us yeah. if you really believe that you're right and we're wrong on this you know, since we disagree sure we can't, and, and, we can't and i'm not be, we, no no yeah we can't no. both be right no yeah, no no i what, agree and and i don't yeah. necessarily think that i would i'm no, just no. asking if i would be able to yes no and and there there's that's the first layer so what you're shopping for and what we're selling are two different things and you're in one <laughs> shop, as it you know and the secondly there is a you know and attached to this uh are very clear words of warning uh, by the apostle uh, about, you know, uh, um, about uh, eating and drinking without discerning the body, which within the Lutheran view is not, it's not just a metaphor uh, for participation in the church, but it is in fact a reference to the reality of what is being offered. That is the true body of Christ, true blood of Christ. And uh, we as pastors and every Lutheran pastor, every pastor is a steward of these mysteries. And that means that it is, as you know, St. John Chrysostom, I think he, in one of his writings, said, in the priest stands at the front and he invites some to come and some to stay away. You know, um, you know, in a sense, I, say, I always say every church, if it's Christian, practices close communion. Mm -hmm. It's just a question where you draw the line. You sure. Know, you don't, you know, we don't, very few churches commune the pets of their members, for example. <laughs> um, you know, don't and, give anybody and, ideas. I, some do. Oh, uh, some unfortunately, do. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, some uh, do, I've but that's very seen rare. that happen. But yeah. only mammals, only mammals, only mammals. Okay, yeah, but, <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> yeah, but there's the reason for that is that there are there are you know these are these are it's like any powerful thing you know if, if you are on 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 heart on on heart medication, you know the the, the poison is in the dose, uh, and so if if somebody comes to the Lord's table. And let's say, like, if I just put it really bluntly, and not personally, but just bluntly, 
you are seeking uh, to come to the Lord's table, and when we give you the sacrament, say, this is not the body of Christ, though, and it is, then you are, in fact, engaging in, 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 a, in a practice that is spiritually dangerous to you. So it's not just about us safeguarding our table so that no outsiders come in and, 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 and break our fellowship, but we're also saying, until you confess the reality, it's better for you not to. It would be dangerous for you to, con uh, to receive this sacrament because by your you know by your professed publicly professed denial of this reality you are in fact not deliberately but nevertheless for real you are actually denying the words of christ and we don't want you to do that mm -hmm. we want to protect you from that yeah what, one thing i would add to that is um and and uh, Tapani already kind of uh, made this point but just to uh, to make it pretty explicit because i this comes up all the time there's a weird kind of postmodern hiccup in the way that a lot of people think about the sacrament so even if they believe that Christ is bodily present in the sacrament, as, as we Lutherans confess, a lot of people still have this idea that you that it's th through the power of our faith that makes the body and blood of Christ present. So if you believe it, he's present. And if you don't, he's not. Uh, this is not something that, that Lutherans believe. So we, we believe that 100% of the people who kneel at the altar and receive the bread and wine are receiving the body and blood of Jesus. Your faith doesn't make Christ present, but your faith does determine whether Christ being present is a blessing for you or whether it's judgment for you. Uh, so again, the, yeah, the, the medicine analogy I think is really quite helpful in that uh, we want the medicine to help you and heal you, and we don't want the medicine to harm you. Uh, and we believe that in 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about communing unrighteously, uh, that um, that that this is that that's that condemnation that you would receive from commuting unrighteously is one that we don't want to see happen. So we 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 uh, do our best to ensure that everyone who communes has been in, ha, shares our confession of the gospel and the sacraments, uh, and has been instructed in what we believe and has publicly stated, typically through what we call the rite of confirmation, uh, that they share that confession of faith. Yeah, and we, we wouldn't want to ask someone to, to lie and come mm -hmm. forward as if they believe these things when they don't. So we, you know, we have enough respect for people to say, hey, you don't believe the same thing that we believe. Um, so that's just another level of that. Um, you know, the, uh, the other things that Tapani already talked about, I think, are, are primary. But that's another level to it that um, we, we would not want you to lie by coming forward because by coming forward you're professing you believe what we believe you uh, believe what we uh, believe teach and confess at this altar at this church that's fair i want to um dig a little deeper into an important question and i am uncertain of the language so if i say something that is incorrect linguistically please correct me but i i know that the roman catholic communion teaches what is known as transubstantiation which means that the body and blood are physically present in the substance but the accidents remain the same the the, the bread is still bread it tastes like bread feels like bread but the substance has changed and the same for the wine the wine still tastes like wine and, 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 and is essentially wine is in its accidents, but in its substance, there has been a change of the, the, the substance to the, to the blood of Christ. However, within Lutheran teaching, 
the the what is the distinction that you would make but between yourselves and the Roman Catholic teaching in insofar as within Roman Catholicism the idea is the priest is bringing Christ down to again be laid a sacrifice on the altar and for the people to again receive the forgiveness of sins through this representation of the sacrifice of Christ is that conducive to what you are teaching or are you teaching something else because I've heard the term consubstantiation, this was the word I was afraid to use because I've heard the term consubstantiation and I've also almost get got punched in the eye by Lutherans <laughs> for saying it. So I've I've stopped saying it. But but since we're doing this digitally and I think that um, I could take maybe three of six, three of y'all. But no, 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 no. And I'm not going to tell you which three it is. But uh, no, no, no. a reminder that Ben is six four. <laughs> well, he was one of the ones I couldn't. No, uh, no. But but the reality is, what if I was going to explain the Lutheran position correctly? It certainly wouldn't be transubstantiation, but consubstantiation is also one that is repudiated. So tell me in the in the in the terms that would be easiest to explain what is it that you believe is happening in the table and and what words do you use well we oh, use this more catechism definition there you go it's the true body and blood of christ under the bread and wine given of us christians to eat and to drink instituted by christ himself so it's the substantiation language is the language of aristotelian metaphysics mm -hmm. which is brought in to try to explain how and we say we don't explain how we say we confess what so we say it is bread. The bread is the body. And Hans has talked about the bodily presence and things. And as Hans knows, I, I, I actually kind of balk even at the language of presence because Christ doesn't say I am present. He says, this is my body. So the bread is the body. The wine is the blood. And we don't mess around with substances and accidents and, and things like that. We just confess the identity for like the identity or the, the presentation or the given to us of the body with the bread how that's god's business i don't have to worry about that any more than i have to worry about you know, how my touch screen works i don't know how it works but i know how to use it and i leave it at that and, and i think sometimes the term uh, real presence gets used but that's not really the language we use in our confessions we use sacramental union mm. and, and the idea being yeah the the body and blood of christ are there in with and under the bread and the wine so is the bread and wine still there yeah is christ's body and blood there yes according to uh, christ's word and promise uh, that's what we confess because that's what christ has said i i promise i i could do this all day i would love to just ask more questions and i and i, I want to move on but i but i have to ask just one more and this is in regard to the Calvinistic view. Now, again, I've already admitted to being more Zwinglian in this. And by the way, Hans, I love your video where Luther starts the Reformation and Calvin, it's my Reformation, you know, <laughs> 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 and, and, then, and Zwingli. I just love that because it's so true that, you know, we, we call ourselves Reformed, but, you know, Luther was the, uh, well, yeah, I guess. stole that term from us. Yeah. We yeah got we, this, this is the thing that drives us nuts, right? Uh, Orthodox, Catholic, and reformed are all better terms for us than Lutheran. And we got stuck with Lutheran, evangelical. <laughs> we were called evangelicals first. And then suddenly the evangelicals are evangelical. So like, this is the We're the real term. Baptists too. Yes, I, mean, I know. You guys, yeah, you guys are called Baptists and you don't, no offense, but you don't believe in it. That's like calling us Papists. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, uh, I knew the Lutherans were gonna be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you guys, there's so much fun. 
No, but in regard to the subject of Calvin's view, and that was in regard to the hypostatic union, that Christ remains both God and man, even in his current position, that he did not shed his humanity in the uh, resurrection and, and ascension, but remains uh, both uh, fully God and fully man, verhomo homo vera Deus, now and forever. Um, and in his humanity, his humanity is real humanity, and therefore Calvin's argument is that his humanity is not therefore omnipresent. His spirit is omnipresent, but not his humanity, and therefore the Calvinistic view of spiritual presence in the bread and the cup, which would be even different than my own view, but but I want to bring it up only because how would you respond to that if someone said, okay, I believe Christ is here, but I don't believe it is physically, as, as, as Topany said, you know, you're not concerned with the word presence. Okay, well, what if someone said, he's spiritually here, and I believe in the spiritual union of Christ with this bread and, and Christ in this cup, but I, but I believe his physical presence is at the right hand of the Father, and it is not omnipresent, but that his physical is it remains uh, humanity. But it's not omnipresent if it's in this bread. In the bread, <laughs> we're not saying Christ is omnipresent. We're saying Christ gives us his body in, with, and under the bread, and that's not omnipresent. That's very particular presence. Mm -hmm. So we yeah, but, it, it's, but it's all over the all the same. Yeah, but, but that's Lutherans it, all over the. Oh, absolutely, but that's, we're still not talking about omnipresence. We're talking about something else. Okay. So that's the first thing to say. Mark, Mark, you want to come in at this point? But the price yeah, price uh, in a bit. No, I agree with you completely, is that we'll, we'll defend the ubiquity or omnipresence of Christ's uh, human nature when we need to, but that's not what we're talking about with the sacrament. Also, the term physical is very loaded uh, philosophically. Um, we reject what's called a Copernicus or Capernatic eating of Christ's flesh and blood, um, making John 6 the, the, the main verse about the Lord's Supper. We would say John 6 uh, refers to a spiritual, the spiritual eating and drinking of Christ's flesh that all believers do by trusting in the satisfaction Christ made on the cross. And so uh, the physical eating of Christ's body and blood, I, if, if, if a layman understands it as the bodily as his actual body, then yeah, we would say that. But philosophically, you have to be very careful with that. Um, what we do is we stick with the words. Is this his body or not? The Calvinist makes something up. Where in the Bible does it teach that you ascend into heaven and commune spiritually with Christ uh, uh, at the right hand of God? It doesn't say that. So it's kind of like the Roman Catholic view where they're trying to figure out the how and the Lutherans say, how about we just stick with the words, which are right in front of me? Am I supposed to not believe what Jesus says when he says, this is my body? I'm going to say, no, not really. It reminds me of when I was a kid and I was trying to, you know, by nature, everyone's a Calvinist. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> because it's, it's reason. And I, dad, my dad was saying around the dinner table that Jesus is here with us because wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of, them, uh, of you. And I said, so I'm like 12. And I'm like, I had certain forays into Calvinism, you understand? Um, and I said, well, Dad, you mean he's, he's, he's present in spirit? And he looked at me and like, is that what Jesus said? <laughs> you know, is he with us or not? You know, are you going to go divide the two natures of Christ because it doesn't make sense to your 12-year-old mind? And I was like, no. And then all of a sudden I had to become a little child again and, and be comforted by the fact that Jesus is with us. So, yeah. Uh, two points I would add real quick. One is um, we always put our reason under submission to scripture. You know, we do not uh, approach 
scripture and it must make sense according to our reason, but rather our reason is subject to the word of God. Uh, the other point would be, we don't bring Christ down. We don't go to, up to him. Rather, he comes to us as he has promised. So uh, we're just relying on Christ and his promise. Yeah, and to to, to kind of build on that, uh, you know, that, that brings to mind uh, what, what Paul says in Deuteronomy and, uh, or Moses says in Deuteronomy, <laughs> Paul quotes in Romans 10, where he says, you know, uh, who will go in, up to heaven as to bring Christ down or who will mm -hmm. go down into the earth as to bring Christ up. But what does the scripture say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. And Jesus says in, in John 6, uh, I believe verse 63, my words are spirit and they are life. And I remember reading Michael Horton on this in his systematics. And he insisted that Jesus is using metonymy. Uh, when he says uh, that his his words are spirit and life. But this really gets to the heart of it all, that the Holy Spirit is not just alongside the word, uh, but that he is in the word, and that, that the word is, is, is indistinguishable from the Holy Spirit himself. And so Jesus is uh, is is wherever his word is. So so that so so again, if if we're going to approach things philosophically, you know, we would see we would see both Roman Catholics and the Calvinists making the same error. Um, so take for let's just go back to the Roman Catholics with the transubstantiation. They're going to say, therefore, you can the priest uh, can you know he can take the 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 body and the blood, um, but the 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 laity they don't need to take the the blood. They could just take they take the host because if it's the body of Jesus, then of course it, it includes blood in it, right? But again, we're not, we stick to the words of Jesus because his words are spirit and life. And, uh, and so we don't, we don't speculate on what a body is or what blood is. We hear his words and we follow what he says. Um, and we don't try to explain uh, what only the divine majesty can understand. All right. Fair enough. And I do want to mention one thing just in response to, or not response, but just uh, Mark said that you do not consider John 6 to be in reference to the participation in the supper. Is that, is that, oral, is that? Yeah, not the oral participation, but we do consider it to be the spiritual eating, which includes more than just the sacrament. It would, it's talking about faith. So, See, that's so what, it, well, that's similar as to the way I would explain it when Christ refers to eating and drinking of himself, is that's receiving him by faith alone. Uh, but, Maybe maybe there'd be more for us to talk about with that, but that but that, I'm just I, I was interested to hear that because I would have assumed that your interpretation of John six would have been more in line with the sacramental eating of the bread and the cup. So that that, that just vary. There is there isn't a unanimous view amongst Lutherans. So I think if you, if we all went down to the pub together afterwards, uh, you know we we could have a, you know. Well, I I, I tell you, if you ever come if. Opinions. If you ever come to Jacksonville, Tapani, I will take you to the pub and you can tell me all about it. Love to, would love to, yes, would love to I meet you. Want to, if you want to see Lutherans argue, then bring that up. And then, uh, <laughs> and then those of us who want to stick with the formula of Concord can show you what the formula of Concord <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and ding, ding, fight begin. <laughs> all right. I often joke in my videos that Presbyterians have superior theology. 
and I assume that you don't agree. So do you think that you deserve the title of superior theology? And if so, why? Well, yeah, because we're right. Uh, but this is but this is why this is why we like having conversations uh, like this because we're talking about all right here are the issues of disagreement the bible can't the bible says this it can't mean this and this it has to mean one of these two things uh or perhaps another thing but it can't mean two contradictory things uh and and that this is what what christian dialogue needs in the world today which is people actually wanting to come to unity and find an answer on things as opposed to kind of what I was saying before of just saying, well, as long as me being wrong about this doesn't make me not a Christian, then we, we don't have to, we, we I don't have to, we don't have to resolve it. So uh, yeah, there, there's something kind of, to me, quite ugly about uh, in a lot of the kind of non-denominational world, the way that they set themselves up is uh, if you look at, for example, look at their church websites and the way that the congregations talk about themselves. And the way they'll talk about themselves is a, a church website is just a 20 second sales pitch for why you should come to the congregation. And so you, they'll oftentimes <laughs> talk about themselves as we're the con congregation that transforms lives. We're here. We, we are here to you're living at this level. You want to be living at this level of holiness. We can get you there. We've got the programs for your kids. We're a congregation of people who are truly authentically like a lot of adverbs, you know, all that type of stuff. <laughs> So if you look at them and you say, all right, well, why should people come to your church? What they're ultimately saying is because we're better Christians, uh, which is not at all what, what Lutherans would say. We, Lutherans have some really bad Christians in our, in our churches. We have some non-Christians in our churches even. Uh, so we would never boast that we're better at praying or better at, at living holy lives uh, than, than people of other confessions of faith. But what we would certainly confess is we're better theologically. We have, insofar as people disagree with us, uh, they're wrong. I, I will certainly not assert that I'm the best uh, uh, orator from the pulpit in the history of the world. I would never say that I'm a better preacher in terms of delivery or kind of ability to connect with an audience than, uh, you know, than the guy at the evangelical church down the road. Than Spurgeon. Or Spurgeon, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I bet I talk about Jesus a lot more than than the guy from the evangelical church down the road because I've heard it. I've heard their preaching, and uh, so in the competition of who talks about the the cross of Christ more, who says more doctrinally true things uh, from the pulpit. This isn't to say that I've never said anything wrong or anything of that nature, but I I trust that I would win that competition against a lot of folks, uh, and I certainly trust that uh, it, that in in the competition between which document has more theologically accurate statements i will uh, i will definitely say the book of concord wins against any uh, reformed confession of faith uh against the catechism of the catholic church whatever it might be can i just so challenge your terminology again i i don't like the language of superiority inferiority i i think it's much more helpful to talk about purity of teaching Right, but that's not fun. That's why. That's why. He, that's why he used the term. My, my, yeah, I, no my, my role in this conversation is to go and challenge <laughs> challenge the premises that you're asking the wrong questions, sir. Uh, no, as in you, you might have superior. I mean, Calvin. Calvin was a very able thinker. I mean, he's a far cleverer man than I, I would ever be. But we talk about purity of the gospel, and this is again, you know, we could we could spend the rest of the next two hours talking about this but you know for example when we talk about any what about the lord's supper what about the baptism uh, what about baptism what about all these things it's all to do with 
you know, the gospel in its truth and its purity, rather than we've got the best assembled system with all these different fancy parts. But it's actually, you know, they, they, we've got, you know, where is Jesus found with yeah. least clutter and yeah, most clearly to be perceived? My, my wife has had multiple people in the last few years say, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the Lutheran thing, but it, I think it's, it's only really for really smart people uh, because it's, it seems really uh, elevated. And, and the truth is, it's actually the opposite. It's, uh, it's so simple. It's we, we believe scripture. It, it's not really very complicated. What did Jesus say? We believe that. And so uh, at its base, it's actually uh, quite straightforward, quite simple. You know, our, our um, end times theology, it's not interesting like you get in the left behind stuff um, it, because it's just so simply straightforward. Jesus comes back, the resurrection of the dead, uh, the life of the world to come, uh, just as Jesus promised. OK, that's it. We believe that. So it, it's actually quite simple. Yeah, and one one thing too that uh, that uh, part of the simplicity is that um, when we make distinctions, we try to do it for the sake of of uh, of simplifying. Um, and of course, we all know, and you don't even Lutherans can make too many distinctions. But one distinction I find to be helpful is the distinction between theology and doctrine, if you will. Sometimes theology is looked at as just what's being taught. But, uh, but if you look at the, like the Lutheran dogmaticians, they'll start off by saying, okay, so what is theology? Is theology a science? Okay, well, what kind of science is it? Uh, is it theoretical? No, it's not a theoretical science. It's, it's, a practical, it's a practical aptitude, right? It's a practical habit. Um, and doctrine is what's revealed. Doctrine is that which is, which is, which is made known uh, through the light of scripture. So as far as our doctrine goes, we have the right doctrine, right? We subscribe to our confession because it is a, a right uh, exposition of scripture. Um, your theology is your habit of applying that doctrine and growing and understanding that doctrine. So doctrine is to justification, if you will, as theology is to sanctification, right? Your theology is not going to be you know, superior, right? You're always going to be, it's part of the new obedience. It's part of your sanctification. It's always going to be done in weakness, but your doctrine is what you rely on. That's the revealed, clear fountain of Israel uh, with the material of the gospel of, of Christ, the, the, the crucified God man who made satisfaction for the sins of all people um, and proclaims his gospel in spirit uh, and in life uh, for, uh, for our salvation. Can I yeah. just ask Ben, ben real quick? Um, did your did your wife tell her friends? Was she like, "It's okay, you can be a moron." Yeah, a, we have we we'll have try, morons, we'll start trying that. we have That's idiots, right. yeah. dipwads. Just we've got the whole. Have you met my husband? <laughs> God, God chose the dumbasses of the world to put the shame wives. That's right. I, I was gonna what Ben building on what Ben said about the simplicity of our faith. And the first time that we call justification the central article is by calling faith the central article. So we're always guarding faith. So, for example, we attack Arminianism because it takes away from the glory of God and the comfort of the conscience. If you have someone relying upon a work of his will uh, in a pre-regenerated uh, state, 
then he is when the when the devil attacks him with his sins and whether he has had a legitimate faith experience then he's going to be looking at his will the devil's going to turn him away from the objective promises of god's grace that it is his grace alone as as my brother andrew i got to hear him preach on sunday uh few are chosen yeah this is a terrifying thing for the old man but for the for the for the broken heart that hears uh the condemnation of the law it's the most beautiful thing in the world that it is by grace alone and so also if we don't know that jesus died for everyone then faith has lost its simplicity because you have to figure out whether jesus died for you and then you're looking away from the simple pure gospel that christ died for you and so that's where the simplicity of faith um you know it's like why didn't the church have to come up why did the church have to come up with the term trinity we didn't have it before it's only because of the attacks on the Trinity that we actually have to use the word Trinity. And uh, same with, uh, with, with a lot of other terms that we have in the church. And so keeping it as simple as possible uh, is, is where we, we need to, where we, as long as our doctrine is pure, then God will teach us to be good theologians, to guard that faith. And just to, uh, just to follow up and simply say, the the whole superior theology thing happened as a joke when i did my thanksgiving episode the denominations were were telling what they were thankful for and big eva was thankful for smoke machines and big bands and and you know i didn't have a lutheran in that episode but you guys would have been thankful for i don't know craft beer i don't know the, or but the 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 presbyterian held up the Westminster standards and said, we're, we're thankful for superior theology. And that's where the term came from. It became a hashtag and now it's sort of my thing, but it's uh, funny. Yeah. We're, it's, that's all it funny. is. I share <laughs> well, it with my elders. We get a good laugh. I laughed at that episode. It was good. Well, I, I appreciate that. So we, got, we, uh, do, we do have to work on your German accent though. Oh, I don't, is, I don't, I, I kind of gave up. I kind of gave <laughs> The first one sounded Yiddish when I did it. <laughs> it was not even close. <laughs> so I have a couple of questions I want to go down, but I'd like to do this since we're drawing to the, the end of the hour. I do want to ask these questions, but if I could maybe just ask one of you, and you can choose whoever, I'm going to ask a question. One of you jump in and answer it. We'll jump to the next question. Um, first question is this, and this was, we'll call this a speed round. Is it correct to say that Lutherans believe in baptismal regeneration? And if so, how do you make the connection between that and sola fide? Yes. Go. Yes, we believe in baptismal regeneration, and it's sola fide depends on it. Because to believe in Jesus who died for you, say, well, where is that Jesus for you? He's not on the cross. You can't go to Gol Golgotha. You know, nothing in my hands will bring you only to the cross cycling and you get splinters, but you don't find Jesus. Uh, so where is Jesus for you? The answer is, he says, Whoever believes he's baptized will be saved. So there's Jesus for you. You're baptized into his death and resurrection. And so to believe in Jesus is to believe in the Jesus into whom you are baptized. And therefore, to have faith in Jesus for you is to, have, is to believe in uh, baptismal regeneration, that you were born of the uh, water and the spirit and made one with Christ. So you would say there's a distinction, Not just a quick follow-up question. So there would be a distinction in time between regeneration and faith then? Um. That's a, I, I'm trying try to be really brief because we're running out of time, but that's basically a question that arises when we have a bad practice of baptism. You look at the New Testament and somebody says, I want to be a Christian, swoosh, they're baptized there and then, and that question doesn't arise. So in the early church, there is no unbaptized believer. Um, it's when we start, when we separate those two 
to events uh, temporarily, we then have a, have to have to ask start have to uh, start asking those sorts of questions. But from the point of view of baptizing, for example, an infant, we believe that word the word creates faith, not the person, and therefore God is able through by the power of His word, by, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit, to create faith in an infant, and therefore that faith is baptized and regenerate uh, because they live by faith. How how old can a child? So, so that you believe the inf, infant faith, right? Is that yep. what is that what you just said? Okay. Yes. So so how old before you receive a child to the table? Uh, that varies from congregation to congregation and 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 Lutheran denomination to another. Where I grew up, fifteen, uh, where I serve, uh, nine, ten. Some okay. churches are younger. It varies. We don't. We very few practice infant communion because it's a whole separate question. It is, and, and I knew that. I didn't. Yeah, that, that that's an important uh, distinction. Okay. Yeah. All right. Do infants hold to any version of what is called bab, uh, uh, by Baptists once saved, always saved, or eternal security? Uh, no. Should I go with that? Go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, we we only locate the security in, as Mark said earlier, in the gospel itself. Outside of the gospel, there is no certainty. And so when Jesus says that he will not let anyone snatch his sheep out of his hands, that is not spoken to reason. That's spoken to faith. Faith is the only thing. And this gets to the faith alone question. Faith is the only thing that holds on to the word of promise, which is the same word that's in baptism. And it's the same word that you keep hearing uh, in the gospel um, and, and in the sacrament. And so your certainty of salvation is full uh, and, 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 and certain in, uh, in the promise of the gospel. Outside of that, uh, there is no certainty at all. So w the problem that we have with, with once saved, always saved is, is twofold. One, it can give a, a carnal security that if you imagine that you are elect, um, then it doesn't matter what you do um, and how you live and you can you know then fall away. Um, but two, it also casts into doubt whether you ever had faith in the first place. So there was a guy, a pastor who fell away, I don't know, a few years ago. I can't remember his name because I don't pay attention to these names. Um, uh, it makes no difference to me, as Paul says. Um, but he fell away, and then you had a bunch of Calvinists saying, oh, he, well, he was never a Christian. He never really believed. Well, then how can you know that you right now believe? What if you fall away later? Can you have certainty right now that you have faith? How do you know that? Well, faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. It come, it, faith is located in the promise. That's how it's delivered. That's what it abides in. And so your certainty of salvation is not in some theory of sovereign grace. Um, that's enthusiasm. That, 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 that is separating the spirit and the grace of God apart from, uh, from the word, even if it's ever so slightly. But it is grounded in the promise of Christ, in his word and sacraments, where you have full certainty that you will make it to the end, that God will bring you to the end. As St. Peter says, First uh, uh, Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has begotten us to a, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance undefiled, imperishable, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power, uh, who by, by faith are being kept by God's power to the salvation ready to be revealed on the last time. Um, that's our hope, is only in the gospel. So yes, we do believe in the perseverance of the saints if it's only in the gospel. Um, but but apart from that, uh, that's all just speculation. 
Okay, and not to speculate further, but I do have to poke the bear just a little. Can a person go from being regenerated to unregenerated and then regenerated again? Do you believe that a person can lose and regain? And is it a process of regeneration, unregeneration to regeneration? Yes. yes. So, yeah, we, we believe that. Now, one of the things, a distinction we make in the formula of Concord is when we talk about regeneration, if we're talking about regeneration as simply making you alive, the life that God, that God gives in Christ, then that's the same thing as justification. And that's, a, that's something that comes from outside of us is, is complete in Christ. But sometimes we might speak of regeneration as the inward movements that happen, like God creating the contrition and, and all that. Um, and we say, well, that's not that's that's not the righteousness by which we stand. So God's going to work things within you, um, and it's it, it's it's very difficult for for us. It's impossible for us by our reason to try to like pinpoint exactly where that is. But again, this is why our, our regeneration must be grounded in the promise itself, in the in the external word. Um, and and so yeah, I mean, my father-in-law was baptized as a baby, fell away. And then came back to the faith when he was in college. Um, I've seen it happen several times. Thanks be to God. Um, and so we're yeah we're not we're not Donatists or whatever the uh, you know those who 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 said that you can't come back to the faith if you fall away. Um, no novations. Novations, yeah. So 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 again, this gets to the point then that your your faith. Uh, I know my faith is founded on Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, and this my faith confessing, unmoved I stand upon His word. Man's reason cannot fathom the truth of God profound, which trusts her subtle wisdom, relies on shifting ground. God's word is all sufficient. It makes divinely sure. And trusting in its wisdom, my faith shall rest secure. Take it away, Mark. No. <laughs> that, I just want to point out to everyone, that was a Lutheran hymn that Andrew, it's already been written. Andrew does not have the charismatic gift of spontaneous. <laughs> I, I was not rapping. I was actually yeah. rapping yeah. style. <laughs> we have I should example. have let people think that, though. So, we like have <laughs> so in Titus, we have the, the washing of, of regeneration and renewal. And so baptism also now saves us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience at all times. And God's if we are unfaithful, God remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So we have the example of David losing the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit cannot remain when you sit against your conscience. And we have the we have the clear example of him rising up again. And uh, we have the we have the parable of the prodigal son where he is away from the home, even though the father is longing for him. He says he was dead and now he is alive. And you could say, well, he never was his son in the first place. Well, yes, he was. He was in the house. So we, we, we see examples of this. We also have, they believe for a while and in time of testing fell away. Whoever believes is saved. Whoever believes is regenerated. So the scriptures are very clear on this. And I think that the attempt to uh, talk about uh, whether the person was saved or not, this wreaks havoc upon the conscience and makes the conscience look inside of itself for certainty. When again, what makes you uh, not able to be snatched from Jesus' hand is that you are hearing his voice that you are believing the gospel. My sheep hear my voice. And that's where the power of, of certainty, regeneration, and salvation is, is in the gospel. But you would agree, though, that there is such a thing as false faith, that there are those who confess oh, yeah. without genuinely having... Okay, so that's not a disagreement. Yeah. Okay. They, they, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah. Sure. All right. Um, two more questions, and then we're done. What about predestination? 
<laughs> yeah, that's going to be short. No, what about the thief I know the there's cross? a difference. I, huh? What about the thief on the cross? That's no, no, but 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 I know there's a difference between Lutheran ver understanding of predestination and Calvinistic understanding and obviously Arminianism, because you guys have decried Arminianism throughout today's discussion. So what would be, uh, and I don't know who wants to take this one, uh, uh, to simply give the, you know, the two-minute synopsis of what's the difference between us in regard to predestination. I'll do the 10 seconds and somebody else can fill it in. If you're saved, it is by God's grace alone. By nothing that you have done, it is the work of God from the beginning to end. If you're damned, your fault. You brought it upon yourself. You are responsible for your damnation. Those two ends don't tie up. They're not like my beautifully tied hand tied bow tie that beautifully ties up. No, it doesn't. They don't meet because we're not in that department. It's way above our pay grade, we're way above human understanding and uh, error. Sorry, this is more than 10 seconds, but the, the error as we see it of Armenians is to tie, try to tie the ends and they end up tying it at human free will. The error of the Calvinists is to tie the ends at the end of God's. Uh, secret counsel the seek the 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 uh, clues in the word secret <laughs> okay don't poke your nose in there uh, it's god's secret counsel trying to make it try to make it all work we don't need to make it work we just need to believe and confess okay That's but it. you but but you would say if someone is a believer that it is because of god's that god has predestined them yes Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so we confess what's typically called single predestination, <sighs> that God uh, predestines the elect, uh, but that he does not choose from before the foundation of the world to glorify himself uh, by condemning people. So, and, and for, for us, again, this is an instance of, as uh, Topani was saying, uh, the math doesn't really seem to work out for a lot of people here, but our, our interpretation of the scriptures is, uh, or rather the scriptures are, uh, we lord the scriptures over our reason. So we simply say, all right, well, the Bible, this is what the Bible says about election and predestination. The Bible also teaches us that God desires all people to be saved, uh, that uh, that Christ shed his blood for the world. Uh, there are too many words that we have to explain away to argue that uh, that that the mercy and salvation of Jesus Christ, uh, that that God doesn't want people to receive that. And so we say you can complain about the math not working out and, uh, and us somehow saying two plus two equals five. Uh, but that's what that's simply what we believe the scriptures teach. And if I could just say, God, God created math, but he never learned it because it was beneath him. And whenever <laughs> someone tries to like, be like, well, technically, I should have used that in school. It says, according to my calculations, what God does is he gives them a swirly and shoves them in the locker. That's what God does. So, don't get shoved in the locker by God. <laughs> right. Well, guys, I and and I have a lot to think. I, I I think there's there's actually maybe some closer in my thinking to what you guys have said than um, than maybe some of my Calvinistic counterparts, because I would hold to a very similar view of, of predestination in that I believe that that those who are not predestined have been passed over, but not actively that God has not actively created evil in their hearts. I think there's a, a conversation that can be had about that. But again, I know you guys have other things to do today, so I'm not going <laughs> to ask you to, to argue that. But I do want to do this. Ben, it's been a few minutes since we've heard your beautiful voice. I want to ask you to tell me, if you were going to convince me to be a Lutheran, <laughs> what would be your best argument? Well, first of all, it's true. Uh, so we'll just start with that, right? Uh, and really, it's it's about Christ for you. 
here are the sure and certain promises of God. Um, and we know where that is found for us because Christ tells us in his word. So through word and sacrament, Christ comes to us. Our sins are forgiven. We can have confidence that we are saved, not because of anything we've done, not even because we've made a decision, but because Christ has accomplished it for us. So there's certainty, there is grace, and Christ is at the center of it all. Well, Ben, thank you so much. And and thank you all, gentlemen, for giving us this hour today. I, I do think I have learned uh, just by listening to you all. And it's always good to go to the source rather than simply try to straw man each other, but rather to ask each other legitimate questions, talk about where we may differ, but also glorify and where we share the our similarities and our the things that we do agree on. So Hans, thank you for bringing this group together. I was just kidding when I, when I said you were a group of rogues and ne'er-do-wells. No, I was certainly no, you just were right. joking. It's fairly accurate. <laughs> but I want you to know that I'm very grateful for you preaching the gospel and loving people and continuing to serve the Lord and pray you will continue to do so all the days of your life. And again, I want to thank you audience for being with us today as we close out this episode of conversations with a Calvinist. This has been another Bowtie Dialogue, and I'm looking to do another one in the future. I want to do one with a group of Methodists. I want to do one with uh, a different uh, a group of Pentecostals. I'm looking forward to that. So if you know someone in those groups who you might be able to put me in contact with, please do so. would love to talk to them. And again, I want to remind you that you can follow me on Twitter at Your Calvinist. You can find all of our videos at CalvinistPodcast.com. And if you have a question you'd like for me to address in a future podcast, you can send it to me at Calvinist podcast at gmail.com. So thank you again for listening to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you.